17, John chapter 17. And also go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11. So distinct was his prayer life that by simply observing it, our Lord's disciples were motivated to request instruction on the subject. And that they would ask the Lord, teach us to pray. You know, we oftentimes uh, will hear people talk about the Lord's Prayer, but what they actually talked about being the Lord's Prayer was not actually the Lord's Prayer. It was a prayer that the Lord gave as a model, as a manual. It wasn't even something that was to be said verbatim in vain repetitions, because in the same passage, he rebukes that. But I will look at that one first in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. Is John also taught his disciples. And so they saw Jesus pray. They saw John the Baptist pray. And John taught his disciples to pray. And, and, then, and then the disciples wanted to know from Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And Jesus, it says, he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done is in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And see, here's the verse where we know this was not the Lord's prayer, and that he said, forgive us our sins. Jesus being our Lord, being our Savior, being our Master, he did not need to pray for forgiveness of sins, but he was teaching us to do so. In John chapter 17, however, we have um, the longest recorded prayer that he prays as far as recorded in Scripture. And the setting of this chapter is shortly following Jesus comforting his disciples after telling them that he was going to be crucified. That, that he was going to go away, that he would depart, and, and talking about how, you know what, they would weep, but in, that's like that it would come when they would rejoice. And we're just going to read about half of it today, and on John chapter 17, but it's, it's the Lord's magnificent prayer, where he says, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. If thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life 
to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Though I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, um, that you would bless the declaration of your word that would be given in clarity, that you would accomplish it as you would please, as you would will for it to be done so. And Lord, we pray, Lord, for... Um, John and Candace, who are ill um, at the moment, as well as Bruce and Irene. Um, we just pray, Lord, for their continued recovery. And um, also, Lord, for Quinn and Mel um, as he starts his new job on Monday. And just pray, Lord, that you bless him there and use him there and get him established in the church there. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus begins his prayer in, in saying that the hour is come. The hour is come. He's referring to the time of his death. It's come to be crucified. You know, he had prayed before that if it be possible, may this cup pass. That basically, if there was any other way to save mankind in his humanity, who's like, did not want to go through all that pain. But at the end of that prayer, saying, Nevertheless, not mine, but thine will be done. That he knew there was no other way to secure the salvation of mankind. And so Jesus willingly was going to the cross to be crucified for your sins and my sins. Saying the hour is come. The very event that would glorify the Son would be by one of the most humiliating ways to be put to death. 
by crucifixion, where publicly would be made a show, would be mocked, the worst of the worst criminals would get that kind of shame. And yet it's that event and this resurrection that would glorify the Father. That by doing so it would secure the salvation of multitudes who would give him adoration and give him worship. Jesus said he knew who his sheep were. You know, and nothing came as a surprise to God. That while the Bible says that, you know, he died um, for us, and not for us only, but for the sins of the whole world, he knew those whom the Father would give him. He knew those who would believe on him, and at the time would come. And that with that, with his death and his resurrection, he would be adored, he would be worshipped, that he would seek care, salvation for mankind, that he would glorify the Father, and that the Father would glorify the Son. Here we see that Jesus says, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. And so it's given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou givest given him. This is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. You know, and Jesus said that you know, and he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he finished that work. And now he was to go to the cross. And as he was perishing on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. And he says, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Another scripture showing that Jesus was pre-existent with God the Father. That it wasn't like when Jesus was born of Mary that he was all of a sudden created. No, this was something that Jesus shared before the foundation of the world. But what's interesting is you know, like God says that he would not share his glory with another. Isaiah 42, verse 8, says, I am the Lord, and this is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. I am the Lord, that is my name, it says, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. As we went to the leadership conference and on our way back, um, you know, we saw these people praying and bowing down to this statue that they made in honor of Mary. And so I wanted to get out, got out, took, took a couple of pictures, and just wanted to see, is this really happening? And it, there's people, it, it felt like 
Buddhism, but in the name of Christianity, as far as people giving their devotion to a statue. But there they were, on their knees, looking up to the face of Mary, and it's about, I don't know, 20, 25 feet tall, maybe 30 feet tall, and it was pretty tall. But hopelessly praying to that statue. God says he will not share his glory with another, neither to graven images. And that would not be how he would be worshipped. You know what? Next to it, there was a sign that through Mary we have consecration to Christ. You know, the scriptures teach that Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. You do not have to go through a statue of Mary to get to Jesus. But the thought pattern is that Jesus could be a God of wrath and that you got to go to Mary and she could calm her son down and then you could go through Jesus and get to the Father. No, yes, God is a God of wrath. He's also a God, he's a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of love. You know, it all um, is part of the character of God. But he does not share his glory through statues of any of the saints. I mean, in the Ten Commandments, when God says, um, Thou shalt not bow thyself to them, he says that nothing in the likeness of the earth of a graven image, or in the likeness of anything in heaven. That even if it's something spiritual and you're trying to make the likeness of it, that God does not share his glory with that, and neither shall thou bow down to them. But yet in this prayer, Jesus says, Share with me the glory which we've shared before the foundation of the world. Showing the deity of Christ. For Jesus to have the audacity to pray that. Share with me your glory. And that I'll glorify thee. That this is the glory they shared with one another before the foundations of the world. Before the world even was. There was the Father, there was the Son. There was the Holy Ghost, and they had a sweet communion with one another. Just glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest in me, and they have kept thy word. Now, Philippians 2, go ahead and turn there. Now, we see the Father glorifies the Son. Remember in Isaiah 42, 8, he says, My glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. But then we see, considering the Son in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Wherefore God also have highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father glorifies the Son. Gives him a name above every other name, which the Bible says there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only through the person of Jesus Christ. Verse, uh, in verse 2, it said, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, in John chapter 17. God has given them power over all flesh. We see in Matthew 28, 18, after Jesus rose again, um, and before he was to leave his disciples, he spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. We see in particular power is mentioned here in John 17. It says that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Give them eternal life. Just saw an ad, it was for the COVID-19 vaccine, but they didn't really even mention it. They didn't even say COVID-19. It was just someone, just someone just said that um, vaccination is to protect from death. If there was a vaccination that protected all of us from death, you know, I think many of us would be like, give me that vaccine. Like, I knew what they were meaning, but of course everyone started to go, man, if there was a vaccine for death, everybody would be getting it. And if you get me, get this vaccine, and you will never die. Well, you know what? The only thing that can save you from ever dying is Jesus Christ. Yes, our physical body may still die um, unless God, unless we were part of the generation that were caught up in the air with Him. But if we're not part of that, you know, every one of us is going to die a physical death. But we don't have to die a spiritual death, and our body will resurrect. Gave power, yes, power to give eternal life. It says those whom the Father has given him. Um, you know what else where you go in the scripture says in John that um, just forgot the, the words how he said he says. Um, he gives eternal life to those who do the will of the Father. You know what the will of the Father was? To believe on him whom he has sent. Who did he send? Jesus Christ. But we live in a pluralistic society. And many people have the freedom to worship according to their own conscience, according to their own beliefs. But salvation is only through the person of Jesus Christ. And as we're over and over, you see in the scriptures where Jesus is the way. Jesus says, I am the way, um, um, to, I'm the way, the life, and the truth. That no man come unto the Father but by me. That it is exclusive. Through the person of Jesus Christ. 
And that's why we want to get the name of Jesus Christ out everywhere we can to preach and teach the name of Jesus Christ that teach repentance and faith. We see that Jesus glorified the Father on earth. He says that it's for them to know about him. Verse 6 says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Another scripture is looking for. Let's see. Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thy own name those who now has given me, that they may be one as we are. And so he talks about how they have known um, him, they have known that he has came from the Father, that they were God's people, that they have received the words of God, and the belief to know Christ is from the Father. And in verse 8, they have received him, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. That they had this knowledge that this was much more than just a mental ascent to, about Christ, but as we see, a knowledge of God's name, God's name implies a commitment of life. Not a commitment of life for salvation as far as of doing good works, but as far as really to know of God would be to be committed. In Psalms 9.10, it says, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. And so, and so we know the name of the Lord, that we've really known him. It's not about the works, but it's our trust, our faith, our belief would be put in him. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. And then because we put our trust in the Lord, we want to be committed to him. God's name is put on the central sanctuary. You know, go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy 12, verse 5. Tis but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye see, and thither thou shalt come. And verse 21. If the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen, you put his name there be too far from thee, that thou shalt kill of thy herd and of thy flock which the Lord God hath given thee, is that I have commanded thee, and thou shalt eat in the grave, so thy soul lust of effort. And so we've seen that his name 
would be put there uh, uh, in, in the tabernacle. We would see it in the tabernacle. We would then see it in the temple. That, that would be where the Lord's name would be sanctified, where he would be worshipped, where he would be exalted. The Apostle John takes over both aspects as regarding Jesus' revelation of God's name to his followers would be made with obedience, and Jesus is shown to replace both tabernacle and temple so that he has become the place where God has put his name. That he, Jesus um, spoke to the woman at the well that you know it won't be here or in the mountains where you have to go to worship God, but that would be in spirit and in truth that they would worship God Almighty. And that we would become the temples of the Holy Spirit. And that would be the central place where God's name ought to be. And where Christ ought to be preeminent in our life. We see Jesus prays for his disciples back in John chapter 17 and verse 9. It says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Pretty interesting thing here, you know. I pray for them. I was praying for his disciples in particular, and then praying for all those else that would believe. But he I pray not for them that are the world. This doesn't mean there's not elsewhere where you know you know where you're maybe you know you're praying for someone to be saved. But it's pretty interesting that you know Jesus gives the emphasis that he is praying for the believers. He is praying for those who follow him. He's not focused on the world right now. He's focused on them. So it's kind of like, hey, you know what, it's, it's a church, it's a body of Christ. It's a local manifestation of that assembly. That, that, that is the part of the body of Christ. You know, the reason, part of the reason we assemble, the main reason, so to speak, isn't to reach the lost. Okay, this assembly is not primarily designed for the lost. This is the body of Christ. Now, may an unbeliever come? Yes. Can you invite people, visitors to come who are not saved? Yes, because you know, we hope that they do hear the preaching of the Word of God, where in 1 Corinthians um, 14, um, talks about those who may come and they may believe not. And if they hear the prophecy of the Word of God, they hear God's Word, instead of just a bunch of people mumbling a bunch of unknown tongues that they don't even understand, says if they hear the word of God, they just may fall on their face and record that you worship God in truth, and they may turn to Christ. Okay? And so, yes, invite people to come. But you know what? The main focus is for the building up of the saints, the edification of the saints, to preach to the church, and then we are to go out into the world and teach and preach the gospel. And we teach and preach the gospel in the church, absolutely. We never get tired of the gospel. 
But this is kind of like where we get recharged, where we, where we get the Word of God, we learn, and then we're to take it out into the world, into the streets, into the byways. So he prays for his disciples. And as we'll find out in a couple of weeks after our prophecy conference, when we read the next part, we see that Jesus then sends his disciples into the world. But the moment he's focused on praying for them. Praise for them. He prays that the Father would keep them in God in his name. In verse 11 it goes, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Oh, I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. That those whom are kept in Christ are kept by our own will. We're not kept by our own good works. You know, we don't fall from our salvation. You know, people will bring up Galatians where it says, ye are fallen from grace. What he is talking about there is that they're falling from grace because they're trying by their works to earn salvation. And you can't have grace mixed with works. Now, works or grace can produce works, but works is not part of the mixture of salvation except for the work Jesus Christ did. And so, yes, we are falling from grace if we're trying to get righteous by the deeds of the law. And that's where he talks about how the Galatians were allowing the Judaizers to come in and to deceive the people and teaching the works-based salvation. So, so you've fallen from grace. You know, when you're saved, you know, you can't fall from grace. You can't lose your salvation. You fall short of grace when you resist it, when you reject it, when you try to earn favor with God your own way. As we see Cain did in the works of the garden and, and trying to do his own works to honor God. When God at the time demanded the shedding of a calf. That would be a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ in the future one day. But it's not so much about the pers perseverance of the saints as it is the preservation of the Savior. That God keeps us. God is the one that's able to keep us from falling. That our salvation is secure in Christ, not in ourselves. Paul even writes to Timothy that if there becomes this time of doubt, that if we believe not yet, he cannot deny himself. He abided faithful. That even if we had a period of doubt, we're genuinely saved. No, we're kept in the Father's hand. No, Jesus said, you know what, that you're in my Father's hand. You're in my hand. And then the Bible says that the Spirit says we're sailed to the day of redemption. That we can't jump out. No one can pluck us out of the hand of Almighty God. The triunity 
of the Godhead. He says, I have lost none. I've kept them all. And then he gives one exception. But the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Speaking of Judas, whom Satan entered. And some people will point to Judas to try and say, what? Well, you can lose your salvation. Well, you know, you've got to read the totality of Scripture. Read the totality of the Gospels. And Jesus clearly states, you know, in the John, the Apostle, he writes, that he says, for Jesus knew whom believed not from the beginning. Sure, Judas maybe believed that Jesus was going to be the Messiah that was going to um, overtake Rome, to kick Rome out of occupying their territory. Maybe he believed in that type of the Messiah, that part of him. But from the beginning, he did not believe on him. It's being the Christ, being the Messiah that would die for our sins. The one that would rise again. He believed not from the beginning. And so he did not lose his, um, his salvation. He was never saved from the beginning. And then the scripture would be fulfilled that he would betray the Son of God. Even with a kiss. Verse 11. In verse, um, verse 13, Now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He says, you know, I'm going to come to thee. And I come to be with the Father. He's going to face his death. He's going to rise again. He's going to be with him that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The joy, the peace of God. Peace of God and the peace with God. And we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding, and we can have the peace with God, with fellowship, with the and with salvation. You know, in this day and age, you know, with this world, all the chaos, trade, the supply line, the mandates, God, be careful we don't get off focus. You know what people need is Jesus. They need the Word of God. And simultaneously, you know, you can stand against all of that, you can be trying to fight for what's best. But you know what people need is Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He later tells them, it's going to be a message for later, but we'll go ahead and read it if I see it right here. Let's see. In verse 18, it says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also sent them into the world. You know what he used? He sent us into the world too. You know, the Bible talks about how we were aliens, separated from God by our sins, by our iniquities. People separated from God. 
that through the blood of Jesus Christ are able to be reconciled. We need to be the messengers of hope, not let any of our anger about the politics of our day overshadow the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. And people see the joy in you. May they see what you're happy about too, that you're happy about the things of the but something much deeper than happiness based on happenings, but a joy that's able to be there no matter what happens. You know, you lose your job, and yet you're able to have the joy of Christ. You're able to have the peace of God rest in your life. And may people see that, may they see that joy, may they see that peace what a wonderful thing it is to know that Jesus prayed for us. Those that were not yet here yet, Jesus prayed for all those that would believe on him. We had a Savior prayed for us. And we see that the Bible says the Holy Spirit today makes intercession for us. And with groanings which cannot be uttered, that, that there's those times where they just can't be spoken, but the Spirit of God is interceding on our behalf. What wonderful thing that is. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for praying for us. We're grateful for you. We believe on you, believe on your name. Thankful for your salvation. Thankful for your justification. Thankful for your sanctification that you set us apart. That we're not of the world, but yet we're not to isolate ourselves from the world. And that you sent us into the world. Place where there's vipers, wolves. And you send us this sheep, this lambs, into the world. You tell us to be harmless as doves, wise as serpents. Lord, we just give you thanks for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. We just spend some time in prayer and worship of you. It's a music place. Spend some time in your seat or you come to the altar, but just spend some time worshiping the Lord. They don't have any type of particular invitation to give. Just take time to worship the Lord. There's a lot of people that are fearful today. You know, and there's a lot of false teachers that will use things in the name of prophecy simply to sell books, simply to make merchandise of the people. But yeah, it is a time to show true Bible prophecy. What is the say of the Lord? And so you know, I encourage you to invite people to the um, Bible prophecy conference next week. You know, at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. I'll be leaving quickly after this 5 o'clock because I got work at 7 o'clock. But um, it'll be a blessing to have. Philip Zelowski and his wife um, with us, and I'll um, just try to be a blessing to them as well while they're here. 
Um, there's flyers out there. I got them printed. My daughter got them sliced up in half, so that way um, they're half-page flyers. You know, put them on any community boards. You know, I like just one at the post office, or actually it's not post office anymore, but there's one at the city hall. There's maybe somewhere you, where you are at. Maybe your post office or community hall or grocery store allows you to put flyers up. Put one up. Go ahead, you know, maybe someone comes. But if you have social media, um, go to our church's page and put it and share that instead of inviting people to come. And our prayer is that primarily that you know it, that the believers would be edified, and then through the proclamation of the word, there may be some that would come and trust in Christ as their Savior. And so that's next week. Uh, prophecy conference. Daughter's supposed to have it up there. Just remember it. So that will be um, next week, this upcoming Sunday. I know we didn't really get to promote it um, as big as normally we would with us being done the last two weeks and stuff. But I encourage you to invite people to come on out. And then in November, we do have the men's retreat. And so I'm planning on coming to the men's retreat if you're able to. Um, and you're a man, okay? Amen. And so um, a men's retreat will be November, I believe it's the 18th to the 20th. I'm supposed to be up there too. Maybe it's a, it might not be in that slideshow. But November 18th to the 20th, if I'm wrong on the dates, it's the week. It's the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, just before Thanksgiving. And so I'm encouraging men to be there, 16 years old and older. Come to that. Um, God bless you. Um, fellowship be friendly.